right, everyone. How are y'all? We good to see you. We are. Um, I'm Fran Magoni, one of the associate pastors here at Martha Bowman. All right, I'm gonna get this set up here. I might have too much for my my table. All right, <laughs> got it going. Uh, we are continuing our sermon series, Fresh Start. I don't know about y'all, but there's something really powerful about the beginning of one year and the end of another. Uh, this year, I recently moved to using uh, a Google Calendar on my phone because it syncs with my laptop. And this year, I kind of missed an annual ritual that I've done for years. For years, I've kept just a plain old black month-at-a-glance calendar. And there's something really powerful about when you take that calendar from the previous year and you shut it and you put it in a, in a box. I have a box where I keep calendars. I've, you know, I've got them probably for you know, 15 years of calendars. And then you open up the fresh new calendar. Do y'all remember this? I mean, this is a little old school, but but there's no there's nothing written on it, and and the calendar is full of possibilities and opportunities. And I think there's something powerful about that fresh start, and that's what this sermon series has been all about. It's a new year. It's a fresh start. And, uh, you know, Haynes started it off. He talked about how, you know, we want to face forward. Yes, 2016 is behind us. There are lessons learned. There were good things. There were bad things. But we want to face forward and look into 2017. And then Tim talked about the importance of thinking positively. You know, what is God's mind? What, is, what would God have us focus on in our thought life? And how do we think his thoughts? What is good? What is lovely? What is pure? But today we're kind of wrapping up this series and it really is, I think today somehow ties the previous sermons together because we're going to be talking about breathing deeply. You know, when the stressors of life, when the chaos is coming and we, we just need to take a deep breath. So to kick us off, if we could put that first slide up here, I kind of did a little bit of a, of a survey this week, and I asked, let's see, I'm going to have to put this down here, because uh, I don't have enough room. So anyway, so I kind of been doing a little survey, and I've, asked them, I've been asking people to fill in the blank. So I want you to think about this, and it says, how would you fill in the blank? If I can just get through blank, then I will be able to catch my breath. All right. How would you, you can write it in if you want to. Now, I've been asking folks this question. I actually put it on my Facebook page. Uh, one friend of mine, she said, if I can just get through my son's ball season. And then, and then she added an addendum, and she said, I know that seems trivial. And I said, Jesse, it doesn't seem trivial. That's your life right now. Your, your, your son is playing ball. That's a part of it. Um, I asked somebody else, and I said, what about a time in your life when you just were like, oh, if I can just get through this, I can just catch my breath. And she said, well, my husband and I, we were in grad school at the same time, and we were both working full time. And so we just kept telling ourselves, if we can just get through grad school, if we can just get through grad school, then we can catch our breath. Um, I asked somebody else, and he said, you know, at work, I had just a lot going on at work, and I just kept telling myself, if I can just make it through this season, then I can, what, catch my breath. That's right. 
You know, a time when um, there are seasons in our life. There are seasons, there are times when, you know, the chaos is a little bit worse than others. There are days, there are moments. But I remember a season for me that was especially difficult. And um, this was back when my oldest daughter, our oldest daughter was in high school. Um, Elizabeth was in middle school. Katie was in elementary school. Um, I was taking on some new responsibilities at work, which was a great thing. It was a promotion. It was a pay increase. But with that, there was also added stress. It was a, I mean, I love my job. I felt like we were doing good work. But there was stress with that. There was stress with trying to make sure my kids were in the right place, trying to be the good wife, trying to be a good mother, trying to be involved in my church. I taught Sunday school. And I remember one particular afternoon, I'm, I'm, Katie had soccer practice, so I'm trying to get her to soccer practice. Mary had lacrosse practice. She's driving now, and I'm worried about her because she's got to go down to South Columbus. We were in Columbus, and I'm up in North Columbus with Katie. And so I'm, I've got, I got to, I'm thinking about what I've got to do at work, and my mind is just rowing and rowing and rowing. And what I didn't realize was I stopped breathing. Y'all ever done that where all of a sudden the chaos is rising and your breath becomes shallow and you're, you know, you're doing this. And so I could feel my, you know, just that, pre I, don't, I don't even think I was, I wasn't aware of it. Let me put it this way. And then Katie turns to me and she goes, oh yeah, mom, I forgot to tell you, our teacher just made this huge assignment. Well, she told me what the assignment was and it's due like, uh, now I don't remember. It was probably due the next morning at eight. But all, every parent knows and you're, you know, just... Because you know your kid can't do that assignment by themselves because, I mean, really. <laughs> but all of a sudden, I remember at that moment, literally my chest, I was having chest pains. And I remember sitting there thinking, am I having a heart attack? Am I, am I, breathing was shallow and I was trying to, and Katie was just, da -da 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 -da, you know, like Katie said, and, and I'm trying to like not let her know how freaked out I am and how I'm trying to be, okay, I hear what you're saying. But I remember in that moment it being difficult to catch my breath. And so I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I mean, hopefully, you know, you get through those seasons, but those moments when you really are finding it hard to catch your breath. And that's what we're going to be talking about today and looking at, I think, a very, very, very powerful scripture that gives us some insight into what does it mean to catch our breath. Now, if you Google breathe deeply, uh, you're going to get all kind of hits. And one of the things that I thought was interesting, um, just kind of as I was doing my research for this, is that when we breathe deeply, now whether you are a Christ follower, whether you are Hindu, whether you are Muslim, whether you are agnostic, atheist, you know, black, white, tall, short, young, old, it really doesn't matter. But when we find ourselves in stressful situations and we literally take in a deep breath, y'all get with me, you breathe in, you hold it there in the diaphragm, and then you blow it out. And you do that again, you hold it, you blow it out, that there is a physiological change. We can lower our blood pressure. It also helps us fight diseases. It, it helps boost our immune system. There is actually something physiological that happens when we breathe deeply. So there's power in that, but as believers, 
we know that there is more to this story than just what we experience in this day-to-day life and trying to lower our blood pressure so we don't have that, that, that tightness in our chest, that feeling of not being able to catch our breath. And that's where I'm going to take us to today is, a, is an, ancient, an ancient passage of Scripture. It's Psalm 90, and you have it there in your bulletin, and I've actually got some fill-ins if you want to follow along. But to set this story up, now, or to set this, this prayer up, it's a beautiful, beautiful prayer. Um, it is a prayer by Moses. Now, most of the Psalms were written by David. Y'all might be familiar with King David and, and many of the Psalms, the 23rd Psalm, many, many Psalms written by him. But this one is written by Moses. Now, what do we know about Moses? Let's kind of set this up. Moses, we know, um, y'all might remember, he was uh, a Hebrew. He was, he was born as a baby. His, uh, his mother had to hide him because at that time the Pharaoh was killing all the Hebrew male sons. You know, y'all remember the story, put him in the basket. He was raised in Pharaoh's house. Um, we know that then he murdered someone and had to flee Egypt. Uh, he lived in the desert for, I think it was like 40-something years as a shepherd, basically living in, away from his people, the Hebrew people, living away from Pharaoh and the family that he had known. You know, this was a man who, who knew something about stress. He's out walking in the desert. Y'all know the story. There's the, the, the bush that pops up. It's a, you know, a burning bush. It's on fire. It's not going out. And God says, okay, now i got a job for you. I want you to go back to one of the most powerful nations in the known world at that time. I want you to stand up to the Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Y'all think he, like, got short of breath? He's like, okay, God, really, you want me to do that? You know, in fact, Moses goes, uh-uh, ain't going to happen. That's my translation. But anyway, but with that, so, you know, I mean, do y'all think he knew some stress when he had to walk back into the palace and say, okay, the God of heaven and earth has said, I want you to let all your slaves go. I mean, he might have known some stress. So then, y'all know the story, they, there's the, the exodus, there's the miracles, they go through the Red Sea. But do y'all think he might have felt some stress when, you know, God opens up the waters and they're about to go through the Red Sea and all of a sudden he looks behind and there's Pharaoh's army? Do you think that something caught in his chest? Now they go out into the wilderness, they're getting ready to go to the promised land, and um, they get all the way up to the promised land. They send in some spies to say, oh, this is the land that God has for us. God's promised it. And then you got these negative folks. You got, yeah, that's right. That's right. You've got some negative, <laughs> some complainers. You know, two people say, oh, this is great. We're going to, you know, this is what God's promised. We're going for it. And then there are 10 people and they go, nope, nope. God's not big enough. We can't do it. It's not going to work. And then God sends them. But he said, okay, you don't have faith in me. That's fine. You don't have to go into the promised land yet. So he sends them back into the wilderness. Do y'all think Moses, like, he's like, don't do it. But they did. God sends them back out into the wilderness 40 years, walking around in a circle, 40 years walking around. And then you read about how they complain and they argue. And do you think Moses is leading this disgruntled, unhappy people through the wilderness, you know, week after week after week? And do you think he knew any stress? Like when one more person came to him with a problem to fix, and he's like, God, I just can't breathe. I'm putting words in his mouth. 
Moses, at the end of his life, he comes back to that same place, the promised land, and he looks over the Jordan, and he can see it, and he actually does not enter into the promised land. He dies, but the people of God do go in, and the promise is realized. And this psalm that Moses wrote, we don't know when he wrote it. We don't know when he wrote this prayer, but in my mind, I like to think, might he have written, he might have been composing it all along. It might have been, a, you know, a line here, a verse there. But I like to think that he might have prayed this as he looked over into the Jordan. He saw the future. He saw the promises. He saw what was behind. He was facing forward, and he prayed this prayer. Let's read along in our, in our bulletins here. Oh, I forgot. On your bulletins, it says, when chaos calls, breathe deep. <laughs> That's the big idea. All right, now, let's jump into the psalm. He says, Lord, Lord. Can y'all just see Moses looking up in the sky? Lord, you have been our dwelling place. Why would Moses say you've been our dwelling place? Imagine that for 40 years, you had led a people that did not have a city. They did not have a hometown. They did not have homes with brick and mortar. They lived in tents. And every so often, the cloud by day would move, and God would say, okay, it's time for y'all to pack up and move and go to a new location. And then they would go to a new location. And, and literally, they were just wandering in the wilderness. And he says, as we have wandered, as we have traveled, as we've broken camp, we've set camp up, we've broken camp, we've set camp up, we have been vulnerable. We've been vulnerable. Because if we had lived in a walled city, if we had lived in a city that had a tower that we could have run into when, when enemies came to attack us, we would have felt safe. You know the story about Jericho? That happens right after Moses passes away. And it says they lived in a walled city. That's what the nations did at that time for protection. Y'all, they were out in the wilderness. They had no protection but God. And Moses declares, he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. I have a friend, and uh, she and her husband are missionaries, and they're on the mercy ships. Y'all might be aware, you know, familiar with that. But this ship actually carries medical missionaries, and they travel from port to port in different areas of the, of the world where they don't have adequate, you know, medical care. And, um, and they bring some of the best medical care in the world to some of these impoverished nations. And, uh, and Diana, one day, on her, Diana Cash is her name, and on her Facebook post, um, or maybe it was uh, Nick had posted this, but it was a picture that Diana had put up in their, their cabin. They live on the ship, and they have three children, and so they're making their home on this ship. And almost like the people of Israel, they're in one location, and then it moves, and it moves. But she had put up a, like a little poster, and it says, Home is where you are. And I loved that. I thought that was so beautiful. Home, she realized that where Nick was, her husband, where her children were, that was what home was. 
And so I think what Moses is saying here is, Lord, you have been our home. As we packed up and moved, you have been that safe place for us. And I know for some people, home is, has not, maybe the home you grew up in wasn't a safe place. Maybe it wasn't a place where you felt safe and secure, kind of that refuge in the storm. And I think as a message from today is, is God can be that home for you. He can be that safe place that you turn to. And I know that's what Moses and the people of God did. So he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world. Imagine that before the worlds were ever created, he says, you are God from everlasting to everlasting. I love that. You are God from everlasting to everlasting. There's another uh, psalm where, where the writer says, you dwell, you live, O oh God, in eternity. And I think in that moment, Moses is kind of trying to put things in perspective. Um, yes, the desert has been hard. The desert has been hot. The desert has been full of the grumbling Israelites. They have had enemies that have tried to come and attack them. They've had been all kinds of situations, you know, lack of food, lack of water, all these things. And he's saying, in the midst of all that, I want to lift up my eyes and I want to see what we have just gone through in light of eternity. So your first fill in there is remember that God is your dwelling place. You might want to write home. God, you are my true home. No matter what's swirling around me, what's going on in my life, you are that place where I can take a deep breath and I, I feel okay. You are that safe place for me. He goes on down and he says, You, oh God, you turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. Now, why would Moses say this? He has just said, God, you are a dwelling place. You live in eternity. And then he turns and he looks at himself. He looks at humanity. And he said, but we, we're like dust. We're mortal. And he goes on and he unpacks it a little bit more. And he says, God, a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by. I mean, it makes sense if God is from eternity to eternity, no beginning, no end, and we're right here in our today, even our life, he's saying that, that, that is so small of a time frame compared to the big picture. And what he's doing, he's trying to put his present circumstances in, uh, in perspective of the light of eternity. Now, moms and dads, we do this. You know, when our middle school daughter comes to us, hopefully she comes to us, with her first broken heart, and she thinks her world is over. It is completely over. There's no boy that will ever love her because Johnny has rejected her. We comfort our daughter, but in our mind we're like, Oh, bless your heart. This won't be your first heartbreak. Probably won't be your second. Probably won't be your third. But one day, I pray that you'll find the man that will love you for who you are 
and you know you will have a marriage that lasts a lifetime but you see what she's going through from all of your life experiences and you have a perspective that in her middle school world she just can't quite see right now you know i remember our, our middle daughter she's kind of one of those that really grades were were very important to her she's smart and so she was always you know very grade conscious and kind of that high achiever and um, but i remember when she was about in the second grade uh she came home from school one day got off the bus i was home and she ran in the house and i was like hey libs and I mean, no word, straight to her bedroom, slammed the door, and then, and I was like, oh my gosh, what happened? I mean, I thought, like, something had happened. And so I go in there, and I was like, Libs, what's wrong? She had the covers completely pulled over her head, and, uh, and I said, sweetheart, what happened today? I mean, I'm thinking, you know, somebody hit her or something, but, and she takes this piece of paper, and she just shoves it out from underneath the covers. <laughs> Y'all know what it was? It was a spelling test. She had missed her first word on her first on the spelling test. And for her, her world was completely over, completely over. And, uh, you know, I loved her, I comforted her, but I had the perspective of someone, you know, who, who was in grad school at the time. And I'm like, yeah, you just wait till you do bad. You know nothing about bad grades yet or the pressure that is about to await you as you, you know, head down the road in your academic career. But there's something about seeing things kind of from the long view. And I think that's what Moses is doing. He's saying, you turn people back to dust. And remember, this is your fill-in there, that you are mortal. Um, he says, our days are like, a, you know, a thousand years in your sight. It's like a day that has just gone by. He said, it's like a watch in the night. It's like three hours, a thousand years. It's like a, a three hours. He said, you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning, it springs up new, but by evening, it is dry and withered. And he's saying, God, I know these last 40 years have been difficult. I know they've been hard. They've had their highs. They've had their lows. But when I think about this 40-year span in light of eternity, it's like a piece of grass that came up in the morning, and in the evening it withered away because there wasn't any water. He said, let us keep this in perspective. And the next thing that Moses says, there's, there's more to this psalm, but I, so I hope today you'll go back and read it in its entirety. But then he, he breathes a prayer. And this is kind of the main point and the big idea of where I'm going with this, is that when you are feeling stressed, I want you to lift up your eyes and remind yourself of who God is. Remind him, you know, ask him to help you see your life and your circumstances in light of the bigger picture of what God would say to you, what God has for your life. And then Moses breathes this prayer, and it is my hope that this will be our prayer for us. He says, teach us, O Lord, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. You know, there's something really powerful about numbering the days that you have left. And I'm going to, if you'll put up this next slide, um, the Reggie Dorner poet there. He says, this is a, a guy that um, I'm actually reading a book, and I'm going to pull this out in case some moms and dads want to get it. It's called Don't Miss It. But he says that visualizing time helps you prioritize what really 
matters. Isn't that a powerful statement? There's something really powerful about having a visual reminder, and I think that's what Moses was saying was, teach us to number the days that we have left here on this earth. I'll give you an example of, of how this helps us to live wisely. If you were watching a basketball game, and let's say it is, you know, the NBA Finals or whatever, and let's say the score is really tight, it's really close, and that buzzer gets down to five seconds, five, four, three, two, one, what happens to the team at that, at that time? They're focused, they're, they're, they're motivated, they're doing what's absolutely important. Does that make sense? And I think there's something about having that, that clock, that time, that impacts how we live today. I brought up the visual reminders about this, and I'm going to pull this bowl up here. But they tell us that, um, you know, if you do the math, um, I've got a, a, a jar of marbles up here, and some of y'all, I don't know if y'all can see that in the back. But in this jar, there are approximately a thousand marbles in here, and no, I did not count every single one of us. But if you are a new mom, and I'm going to pick on Lindsay Moat here, does she still, oh, yep, I <laughs> see Cam. All right, they just had a baby. How, how, how old is Bo? Four? Oh my gosh, we got, okay. From the time that Bo was born until he heads off to, to college, approximately, y'all have a thousand weeks. So, week one is gone. Week two is gone. Sorry, week three is gone. And week four is gone. Now, how do you think that just made Cam feel? Freak that. <laughs> Well, it can make you do one or two things. One, it kind of gets that, that something in the pit of your stomach, but it also helps you visualize, man, that, this week counts. Now, if you are a parent and you have an eight or a nine-year-old, let's see if I can do this without spilling marbles. All right, your marbles, your weeks, are about halfway gone. All right, if you have a 16-year-old that just got their license. This is about all you have left. When you visualize something like this, what do you do with this week? You want to make it count. You want to make it count. You know, they say that people who have had near-death experiences or maybe someone who has had um, a brush with cancer where the, the doctor said, you know, you, you, your you, know, you might have an 80% chance of, uh, of uh, let me do this backwards, you have a 20% chance of survival. I know someone who um, had esophagus cancer and uh, his survival chances were not very high, but he beat the cancer. And he was talking to Mark and I, and he said, you know, he said, it really puts your whole life in perspective. The things you thought were so important, they're really not that important anymore. And so there's something about, you know, kind of getting to the end and saying, I have a limited number of days left in this particular circumstance, in this particular season, in this particular time in my life. I want to make it count. I want to breathe deeply 
and get things in perspective. I love that prayer. So as we, you know, kind of go through these points, remember, God, you are our dwelling place. I am mortal. And then the prayer, teach me, and we have it up here on our, on our um, it should come up for the fill-in. Help me, Lord, to live wisely so I don't miss it. So I don't miss. You know, as I was driving down the road and I was having trouble catching my breath because I was thinking of all that I had to do, one of the things that it made me do was step back and say, if I am at this point where I'm literally having chest pains, I've put too much on my plate. I haven't left enough margin in my life to be present with my daughter, laughing, talking, talking about how crazy that teacher is who gave her some ridiculous assignment, and what does it matter if she fails it because in the brand daughter, no one did that. But how could I be present with her when I had all that other stuff going on in my head? Sometimes teaching us to number our days, it helps us to say, I really need to take this out of my life. Maybe there's something I need to add. Maybe it is a difficult situation that really it's, you can't, it just happened. Maybe it was a job loss. Maybe it was a family member is ill and now you're taking care of them. But you want to make those moments count. And you want to breathe in and you want to breathe out God's presence and God's goodness. Now here's the thing that I kind of want us to, to leave with here. When you look at breath in the scriptures, Breath is associated with God's creative, life-giving power. In the book of Genesis, we see that when God formed Adam and Eve, what does he tell us? How did they become a living being? Who knows what happened? He, he breathed, and they became a living being. And that he breathed into them the breath of life. In the book of Acts, it talks about, I think Paul is preaching, and he says, Lord, in you we live we move, we breathe, we have our very being. In the book of John, after the resurrection, when Jesus, no, after the crucifixion, prior to the resurrection, Jesus is meeting with his disciples, and the scriptures tell us that he, he breathed on them, and he said, receive my Holy Spirit. Receive the Spirit of God. And y'all, is it any wonder to me, I mean, is it just think about this, is that Literally, breathing deeply has a physiological impact on us as human beings. Are we somehow breathing in as Christ followers the breath of God and breathing out the stress and the chaos and the crazy? Are we breathing in his peace, letting go of anxiety, breathing in his presence, his joy, letting go of the feeling of chaos? And is it just a miracle, I think, that that very breath, the breath of God, has a healing impact on our physical bodies. And so as we uh, close out today, um, I've asked Ashley and the band if they'll, if they'll do a closing song for us. And it's one of my favorite, favorite songs. And, and, in, and I want you to pay attention to the chorus because it says, You are the breath in our lungs. And if today you came in and it felt like chaos was swirling and you had those moments where you just couldn't quite catch your breath, I want to invite you, if you would like, to come to the altar, to give it to him, 
to breathe deeply as we, uh, as we worship and we breathe in the presence, the breath, the, the very Holy Spirit of God. Let us pray.